Good morning, First Baptist Church. Mm, I'm just going to need more from you today. Good morning, First Baptist Church. Boy, I am glad to be back. Just, I just want you to know I love your church. I'm a fan of your church. Not only all that God has done, but all the good things you have in store. It is true. Pastor Tom has been a friend of mine, an encourager, a mentor of mine for more than 20 years. So I am so glad to be back. And just he's gone this weekend and just stand in his place. I, I don't know I can stand in his shoes. My, my feet aren't big enough. But I'll tell you what, I'm so glad that he's here and he's encouraging you the way he's encouraged me. And uh, we just love your church, love meeting with your leaders and, and helping strategize about the future. I do represent Missions Door. I was a pastor for more than 20 years before I took on uh, my current role working with Missions Door. And that's one of your historic missions partners that you have worked with for years and decades. And boy, if nothing else, I'm here today to say thank you. Thank you for supporting us the way you do. Without your help, we couldn't do what we do around the world every single day. And so I, I'm just privileged to travel around the world across the country just trying to fan the flame of global mission wherever we go. Tell the story of what God's doing through Missions Door. You know, one of the things that makes Missions Door such a vibrant force is that we're focused on indigenous missionaries around the world. And so we don't really send any more cross-culturally North Americans to other cultures, at least if we can all at all help it, to do missionary work. Instead, we raise up indigenous missionaries wherever we are. Now, we've been in business for 70 years now, but our missionary family, more than 300 missionaries and affiliates, are made up of 30 different birth nations. And so wherever it's at, I mean, today we're in Central Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, the African continent, South America, every nation in Central America, all across the United States and up into Canada, we have indigenous missionaries. That means they are from the place they're ministering. So for instance, in Central America, where we've been for more than 60 years. The work there is just exploding at an exponential rate, rate where we are looking in the next year to plant 100 churches in those seven nations. We have 500 church planters in training, more than 1,000 leaders. It is just going at an exponential rate. And the reason why is because the gospel goes further, faster, the quicker we get it out of our hands and into the hands of the people we're trying to reach. Now, I have my good friend with me, and I want to have him come up and share with you for just a minute. His name is Rigo Reyes. He's come all the way from Nicaragua to be here today. We travel quite a bit together. He directs all the ministries in the seven nations of Central America. So today, all our missionaries are from the countries they serve, and the leadership over that whole region of the world is all indigenous. That means it comes from Central America, and what is happening is absolutely an explosion of God's work. So welcome, my friend, Rigo, up here for just a moment. I want to have him share so you can understand the heart of what Missions Door is all about. Good morning. It's a privilege to me to be here with you guys enjoying this time. I am one of those indigenous leaders. That's because I am using this jacket. I can't stay outside more than 10 minutes. <laughs> it's too cool. My country, the Temperature is 80 to 120. And then, <laughs> um, okay, I came to Jesus in 1993. In 1995, I began to the program to Bible called Exten uh, Education by Extension with George Patterson. In 2000, Missions Door sent me to Nicaragua to plant churches. Uh, 16 years later, we, we planted 35 churches. Churches in Central America are 
uh, averaged uh, 50 or, or more church attendance. In 2011, I was appointing like a Central America director. We are working with 22 amazing coordinator countries in, in those seven countries. We are training 1,800 leaders in Central America. Right now we have more than 500 students. And normally we plan 35 to 40 churches per year. But uh, this year we are uh, working with training uh, 25 uh, national church planters. And then our challenge, our goal for the next year is plan 100 churches per year. Then we are, we are working in the Caribbean island too. We, are, we have a, a new net in Spain, in Mexico, South America. Then uh, God is working hard in, in our countries. Hey, thank you, Rigo. Say thank you for him coming all this way just to share with you. I hope, I hope you'll talk to him afterwards or ask us. Somebody asked me after service, how, how can I plug in with Mission Zohar? I said, I, I got a real simple thing for you. Help us connect you with one, one of these hardworking missionaries in these dangerous places. Just, just have a ministry of encouragement. That would mean all the, all the world to them to know that there was somebody for them. This is a picture of what Mission Zohar is about. Rigo was saved in the ministry, trained in the ministry, became a missionary in the ministry, and now he leads 22 missionaries more than a thousand leaders, planting a hundred churches a year and now spreading to Spain, up into the United States, across Mexico. That's what indigenous missions looks like. Thank you for supporting us. We don't take for granted your help and we know that we couldn't do it without your help. So I'm here on behalf of Missions Door today to say thank you and we love you. If it's all right, I'd like to start today by just telling you one of my all-time favorite stories. It's a story about Tubit who both died, ended up at the gate of heaven at the same time on the very same day. One was a preacher from Denver, Colorado, and the other was a taxi cab driver from New York City. And so they land at just the same time at the gate of heaven. So since they were coming at the same time, St. Peter just you know, kind of ran them through together, ran them through the computer, everything checked out, so it was good. He gave them name badges, brought them in for their you know, introductory tour. And on the way, went by wardrobe to get them their heavenly attire for eternity. And so anyway, so the taxi cab driver, he handed him this exquisite purple gown with gold trim and bling all over it. He was really excited. And the preacher was really excited seeing this and thinking what he would get until St. Peter handed him a hanger with this gown that looked like it was made out of a, a burlap sack or something. And didn't seem quite right, but he didn't want to embarrass St. Peter, so he pulled him off to the side and he said, hey, Pete, I don't mean to embarrass you here, but I think there's maybe a mix-up there because um, you see the gown that guy has? That's a taxi cab driver uh, from New York City. I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm a, I'm a man of God, and I've got this uh, you know, burlap sack thing to where maybe something went wrong, and St. Peter said, oh, I get it. Oh, I totally understand um, how you feel, but you've got to understand that here in heaven, we're just completely all about results. And the bottom line is this. Um, when you preached, people slept. And when he drove, people prayed. <laughs> no, oh, thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I've seen people who made an art out of sleeping through 
preaching, and I've seen plenty of preachers who have given them help doing it as well. You know, even, and if you've ever been there, and I have, even if you don't throw your head back and, you know, snore, there's still, you can still do that eyes wide open, but just kind of zone out, and you're not there, and then you just pop back in, you know, in time for the doxology or the closing prayer, whatever it is. Even if you slept all the way through the preaching, I don't think you would sleep through the final words. I've, I've never seen anyone sleep through the end, through plenty of sermons, but not through the very end. If you heard nothing else all day, you would probably hear the very final words that were spoken. And you know, sometimes some things never change. For instance, if it was 3,000 years ago and you were worshiping together with God's people, if you didn't hear anything else in church that day, I'll bet you would hear the very last words that were spoken. And every Sabbath, it ended in exactly the same way. The priest would stand and he would speak over the people three little verses that absolutely everyone knew by heart. They came from Numbers chapter 6. These were some of the most well-known words in all of the Hebrew Bible. They were the final words that were spoken to the people every week as they were dismissed. In fact, you probably recognize them yourself. It goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Israel treasured these words. We treasure these words because they articulate God's warmest desire for our lives. Not only have we been saved, our, our sins have been forgiven and we have been accepted, but on top of that, even more, that God might bless us, pour out tangible expressions on our life of things that are good. And what's more, that God might keep us, watch over us, keep us safe, the people we love, the things we have. He might make his face shine upon us, look upon our life and smile. Pour out his grace upon us. Grace, wonderfully good things we don't deserve and could never hope to earn. And give us peace. The experience of every promise that God has ever made. God had given these words to Moses, and he instructed him. Have the priest speak these words upon the people every time the church is about to end. And so these words were impressed upon their minds, not only because they were so warm, but because they heard them so often. These words would be spoken over them literally thousands of times in their lives. Now, I take the time to point that out to you this morning because I want to have you look at those words that were just read a little while ago. They came from Psalm 67. So if you have your Bible or your mobile device, however you get to God's Word, Psalm 67 is what I want to look at this morning. And you need to understand that 3,000 years ago, if you were worshiping with God's people, when they came to this song, which is what Psalm 67 is in their worship, every faithful Jew would instantly recognize that it was echoing the indelible words. Psalm 67 begins by saying, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now, most people know Numbers chapter 6. Very few people know Psalm 67, and that's a shame. Because Psalm 67 was intended to be the commentary on the most famous words of the Hebrew Bible. Number six was intended to remind God's people every time they were about to leave church that God desired to fill their lives with things of extreme goodness. 
But hearing this over and over and over again was intended to raise a question in their minds. And the question was this, why? Why would God desire to give us such gifts of grace? And there was this little song, Psalm 67, that explained why this was so. So the song begins, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And then if you look closely, there's this little word, salah. And it means to stop for a moment. Perhaps when this was sung as a song, the instruments would keep, the, keep playing a musical interlude while the congregation would just pause and ponder the words that they had just sung. Now, usually, you and I, when we read through the Psalms, we don't really pay too much attention to the Salahs. We just kind of keep moving. We're on a schedule, you know. But if you believe that every word of the Bible is God's word, then I suppose that includes the Salahs. And that means, having read these words, we are supposed to stop right here and just let's sink in what God's word says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And then it says, Salah. Just think about that. You know, as long as we're stopped here for a moment, maybe I should ask you a question about that. I mean, I don't know everything that's going on in your life right now, but don't you sometimes feel like asking God to hit you with a little bigger blessing than what you've already got? Something good. Don't you ever ask God to give you good things? Don't you ever think to yourself, God, could you possibly send me a break right now? I mean, could, could you cut me a little slack here right now? With everything I've got going on in my life, I could use a, really, a little bit of good news coming down the pike my direction. I mean, my investments are down, my blood pressure's up, my business has fallen in, my hair has fallen out, there's a funny noise in my engine, there's a funny smell in my dryer. I, I've got a 31-day month, but I've got a 25-day check. I need to get a job, I need to make a sale, pass a test, land a date, uh, take a vacation, something. God, right now would be a really good time for you just to send a little something good my direction. Honestly, now, don't you ever ask God to hit you with something good a little bit more? Because if you ever do, you shouldn't feel bad for asking. The Bible teaches us to pray and sing and to ask that God would pour out upon us the blessings of a favored life. It is okay to say, God hit me with something a little more. Be gracious to me. Bless me. Smile down on my life. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not here today to, to make you cheap guarantees about how God's greatest desire is to make you healthy and wealthy and everything easy. God is not some cosmic vending machine in the sky where if you just put in the proper change and punch the right buttons, out will pop whatever it is you want in life. Life isn't always that easy. Faith isn't always that simple. God sometimes has grander designs than just whatever I happen to want right at the moment. I'm just saying... You shouldn't feel bad for asking. God bless me. God bless us. Send along something really good. Send us something better than we deserve. 
But maybe I should ask you another question along with that. Do you realize how much you have been blessed already? I mean, again, I, I don't know everything about you, but um, take, for instance, the fact that you are financially wealthy. You probably don't like that I said that about you. I almost never find anyone who uses that word to describe themselves, regardless of their level of material prosperity. But it's true. Realize it or not, you are ridiculously wealthy. Think of it like this. Imagine that we could take everyone alive on the planet today, about seven and a half billion of them, and put everyone, you and me included, in a single file line. And up at the very, very, very front of that line, the very first person standing in that line is the richest person in the world. It's uh, Bill Gates or you know, somebody like that. That's the first person in the line. And if you went all the way to the other end of this extremely long single file line, at the end of the line, the last person was the poorest person on the planet. It's a child, a boy named Nadiv from Sierra Leone. He's naked, he owns nothing, and in fact, he's just about to die from extreme starvation. And between these two people, the richest person on the planet and the poorest person on the planet, are lined up every other person who is alive in the world today on the basis of their wealth. Now, my question to you is, where do you think you are standing in that line? Because you need to know that you are standing at the very, very very front end of that line. If for no other reason because of where you slept last night, because of the food you ate this morning, the clothes you're wearing right now, the, the car that you drove here in today, these things alone make you among the wealthiest persons who have ever lived in the history of the world. But see, I'm telling you, I don't typically think of it like that. Because I'm typically thinking about the people up there, I mean, that are really rich. Not me. I mean really rich. We got this guy in Denver. He's rich. He's a football player. His name's Von Miller. Now, listen, he's a pretty good linebacker. I'll give you that. But do you know what they pay that guy? They pay him over $19 million a year to play the game of football. $19 million. I mean, that means this year for every game, every quarter of a game, he gets paid $300,000, even if he's sitting on the bench. $300,000 for 15 minutes of football, that's more money than I get paid. You know, well, that's, that's just more money than I get paid. I can tell you that. Oh, no, no, I'm not rich. Vaughn Miller, that's rich. That guy up there, you know, the one who just built the new house out there with the eight bedrooms and the private lake, that's rich. I'm not rich. I'm just a working stiff that's struggling to get by until I turn around and I look the other direction and I see a whole world filled with billions of people with desperate needs and they're looking at me and guess what? They think I'm See, I think I got it hard because I had to take a pay cut until I found out that in the poorest country in the world, the Democratic Republic of Congo, the average person lives on 30 cents a day. 30 cents. Look, I'm going to be honest. If I was in a hurry 
and I saw 30 cents on the sidewalk, I might not stop and pick it up. Because it's a big meal. I thought I had it tough. Because I had to go to community college. Till I found out that 98% of the people living in the world today have no college at all. Till I learned that in the nation of Niger, 81% of the people there can't even read. Oh, I think I got it tough. Because they ha- cut my health care benefits. Okay. Until I learned that every single day, tens of thousands of people in the world die from simple, treatable health conditions because they have access to no health care whatsoever. See, the problem in my life is I spend so much time looking up the line of blessing that I fail to recognize the extreme goodness of God that I have received already. Do you realize how much you've been blessed already? Because in nearly every way it possibly could be measured, you have been blessed beyond excess. John was a very special friend of ours who became a part of a church that I pastored in Oregon. I still remember the first day that John came to visit our church. After the service, he came up to introduce himself. I could see him coming, and I could smell him before I shook his hand. John said, I really like this church. He said, I'm coming back. I said, I'm glad to hear that. I hope you do, John. I said, where do you live? He said, well, actually, um, I'm quite close now because I've been staying under the bridge. And I could leave it. Then he leaned in close and he said, I was wondering if maybe somebody here could give me some help. I had a pretty good idea what was coming. People came to us all the time asking for help. But it was what he asked for that just astounded me. He said, I was wondering if there was somebody here who could spend some time with me and teach me how to read. Because I've always wanted to be able to read, and some, today somebody gave me a Bible. And is there somebody here who could teach me how to read for myself what it says. And I was absolutely speechless. Because I just assumed that he was coming to ask for 10 bucks or help getting into a shelter, but in fact, he was asking for a blessing so much more basic that I completely overlooked it. The blessing of the gift of being able to read. And I promise you, we tried. I mean, despite the hard efforts of some really good tutors and teachers, I got to tell you, I I don't know if John will ever be able to. He's got some limitations and some trauma I don't think you even want to know about. But God blessed John nonetheless. He got clean and sober. He got a little place to call his own, to live in. He he got a driver's license. And every Sunday, he would sit down front and worship in a church that was filled with people he considered to be his family. And when I would stand up to preach, I would see John sitting right there. And he'd sit there, and he'd have that Bible open on his lap. But I knew he couldn't actually read it. But he would sit there with that Bible open, so that the world could see if he could read, he would read this book. How about you? Do you have a Bible 
can you read that Bible? Because if you can, my friend John might say, you have no idea how blessed you are. In nearly every way that it is possibly measured, the goodness of God on your life is lavish. And the truth is, when we start thinking about it, like, we start feeling guilty. I mean, we think of every blessing, every advantage in my life. Who am I to ever ask God to bless me anymore in any way? I have no business asking for anything more than I already have. Except, that's just the thing. This song, Psalm 67, it was a song that they sang on payday. Now, payday for them, it only came once or twice a year at harvest time, but it was a song that they sang at the very end of the harvest festival. Verse 6 is actually written in the past tense. It says, the land has yielded its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. So think of it like this in our cultural context today. It's like we're pushing back from Thanksgiving dinner. Not only great food, but all the food we can eat, more food than we should have eaten. And we're just stuffed from all the amazing food. We've counted out all the money. But before everyone goes, we go, hey, everybody, let's sing one more song before we go. Not only has God blessed us already, but we're going to ask right now that he does it again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. How can that possibly be right? How can we possibly be justified in asking for anything more when we have already received so much? And the answer is, it's not. It's not justified unless you can answer the third question, which is, do you have any idea just exactly why God has done all of this for you? Read on, it says in verse 2, so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with justice and guide the nations of the earth. And then it says, Salah, think about. For what possible reason could we explain the extreme goodness of God towards us and even contemplate asking for anything more? This is the answer. So that, for this reason, so that all the nations may know your ways and your salvation. Translate that word so that all the nations into Greek and we get the word ethne or nation. Same word that Jesus used in the New Testament, Matthew 28. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the ethne, the ethnicities, the people groups, the nations. It's the same word used in Acts when it says there that God has appointed us as a light to the ethne, to the nations, that we should bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. God's heart has always been, and people who have hearts like God's always have been with a driving vision to reach the nation. Blessings of God are on deposit in your life. Resources of every kind are on loan to you with a specific reason. There is no sin in being richly blessed, but there is great sin in not understanding why. 
You have been blessed in order that all of the nations, so that all the peoples, all of those who are still on the outside of God's grace looking in might experience the same blessing to the nation. The psalmist goes further. Verse 5, he says, May all the people praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad, those that are still on the outside. May they be glad and sing for joy. Do you know that not only God would bless us, but that all the peoples we are praying and believing and hoping and working towards, that they might sing your song? Do you know that this is one of the greatest final visions of God's heart? Not merely that there would be a new song in our mouth, but that there would be a new song in the mouth of all the nations. Read all the way to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 7. And what do we find in heaven? It says, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the crowning vision of God's heart. That all of the nations and all of their stunning colors and their diverse cultures and their beautiful languages together will sing a new song before the throne. Oh, God bless us. Bless us really good so that I can be used here and now to bring about the present reality of the greatest vision you have for heaven. That all the nations will sing your song and experience joy. Through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 56, the Lord God of Israel declared who was welcome in his holy temple. He said, don't forget about the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to those of other nations who love my names too. For I will bring them to my holy mountain. Their sacrifices will be acceptable in that place, for I will fill them with joy. I will fill the nations with joy in my house of prayer, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The same words that Jesus spoke with such passion in the temple in Jerusalem to remind the religious power broker that God's idea of religion is not a club for insiders, but God's house should be a house of prayer that reaches and pulls in the outsiders so that they can be filled with joy too. God, you have blessed us with joy unspeakable. God, you have blessed us with hope unbreakable. You've turned our tears into laughter. You've traded out our sorrows and given us joy. God, only if they could know the same joy that we know too. From the very beginning, God's plan has been to bless the nations by finding women and men of faith blessing them extravagantly, and then turning them loose with that blessing to serve all of humankind. God does not bless us just for the sake of it. He blesses us on purpose. There is no sin in being richly blessed, but there is great sin in not understanding why. In my line of work, I, I fly quite a bit. Sometimes, perhaps a perk of frequent travel, I'm given the privilege of sitting in the exit row. Happened last weekend. I was flying to Los Angeles and getting on the plane and the boarding pass on my app, I scan it through, but it gives a little funny beep, like beep, beep. And the guy says, oh, wait a minute. 
And he reaches over and he grabs another ticket and he says, Mr. Fleischman, we've moved you to the exit row. Have a nice flight. I said, thank you. It's kind of a bit of a privilege. People sit, tend to like to sit there. For no other reason, you get to stretch out your legs a little bit more, be comfortable for the duration of your flight. There are some privileges that come with sitting in that row. But if you've ever been there, you know there's some responsibilities that come with it too. By virtue of sitting in that row, you are obligated, you commit yourself in the unlikely event of a water landing or some similar catastrophe to help the people that are within your reach, your fellow passengers, to safely make it out through that row and off of that plane. And they will ask you every single flight, do you commit to these responsibilities? If not, tell us now. We will remove you out of the row and we will put someone in. But the point is this. You can't take the privileges of sitting in the row while stunning at the same time the responsibilities that come with it. Here's my point. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been seated in the exit row of life. And there are some privileges and benefits that come with that that God has put on you for which you should not feel guilty. However, you cannot embrace those privileges while at the same time shunning the responsibilities of reaching out to help every other possible person within your grasp to make it safely off. And if you haven't noticed, this plane called life is going down, which means it is time for you to get up out of your seats to reach out to those that are in your grasp from your position of privilege and to help them make their way safely off this same flight. I wonder this morning if you have any idea how richly blessed you really are. I wonder this morning if you really understand why God has blessed you so richly. You have blessed us greatly, gracious God. And with boldness, we dare to ask you to bless us even more. For our hearts resonate with yours. Our hearts resonate that your salvation would be known among all the nations, that all the peoples might sing your song, that they might know your joy, they might live under your justice, that you would guide them. May the peoples praise you, God. Our hearts are that all the people would praise you. If you'll permit me, I'd like to tell you one more personal story about a friend of mine and what it means really to be blessed. Jim was a neighbor of ours. He came to be a precious part of a church that we led. Jim was about 60 years old. And with Jim, it wasn't just that he's poor, although he was that. Spent much time homeless and had finally gotten himself into some humble, subsidized housing. It wasn't just that he couldn't read and write, although that was true. Occasionally, he would give our family a card. And at first, we couldn't figure it out why he would write his own name on the front of the card he was giving to us until we realized that this was the only word that he knew how to write, Jim. Except he couldn't always remember what order the letters went in. He knew there were three of them, but he didn't always get them right. So it might be I-M-J. He just wanted us to know who the card had come from. But more than the poverty, more than the challenges of life, I came to realize how incredibly alone he was. 
One year I was talking to him a couple weeks before Christmas, and I asked him uh, about family. No family to speak of or no family that wanted to speak of him. Asked about friends. And I said, well, well Jim, what do, you, what do you do for Christmas? Not much, I suppose. I said, well, well what, what would you think about coming to our we have a service at the church, and then afterwards we, we have friends and neighbors over, and you're a neighbor, and you're our friends. So what do you say, Jim? How about Christmas Eve at our house? And he said, yeah, I'd like to do that. I was pretty excited about it. I mean, when Christmas Eve came, there, were, there was a lot on my mind, but nothing was higher than the fact that Jim was going to celebrate Christmas Eve at our house. I still remember that night, the dark and the candles, and, and the church was just packed out, but I was scanning, and I was looking for Jim, and I didn't see Jim. And when the service was done, all the people were streaming out, but I'm looking through the lobby, and no Jim. I made my way back home, and the house was full. And there was a lot of food and laughter, but I was just distracted because I was, I was worried. What happened to Jim? So finally, about 9.30, I'm like, you know, just forget it. I'm just, I'm just going to go over to Jim's house a couple blocks away and find out what's, what's going on. So I put my coat on. I just walked down around the corner and then up this broken sidewalk that led to his little apartment. There was a light on inside, so I knocked on the door and he just opened it right away. And I was like, hey, Jim, were you going to come over to our house? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Let me get my hat. And it was like he was waiting for me to just show up or something. I, so I stepped inside and I closed the door and I said, uh, you know, Jim, I, <laughs> you had me worried. I thought... I thought maybe you decided not to come to our house for Christmas Eve after all. And he turned around and he said, Christmas Eve, that's today. And it dawned on me right then. Jim didn't have one person in his life who had said to him, Hey, Jim, it's Christmas Eve. Hey, buddy, Merry Christmas to you. He had no idea the day had even come. And I wondered... Is it ever possible that Christmas had come and gone and he hadn't even missed it because he didn't have one person in his life to warmly say, Merry Christmas? How about you this past year? Did you have somebody, anybody who knows you, who said, hey, have a Merry Christmas? Because you might think that's nothing. But my friend might, Jim might say, if you've got somebody like that in your life, you are blessed more than you know. Look, I've said a lot of things today. I, I don't know everything you heard me say. Here's what I was trying to say. Not only have we been blessed with the extreme goodness of God, but we have been blessed with a specific purpose that through us, the nations, all those still on the outside looking into the very ends of the earth might experience the extreme goodness of God. Of God too. Not only have you been blessed with the extreme goodness of God, but you have been blessed for a specific purpose that through you, the nations, that is all those on the outside still looking in, that they might experience the extreme goodness of God too. He has blessed you to turn you loose to bless all those that are within your reach. And so if God has blessed you with a home that is warm, then open the grace of that home to somebody like my friend Jim. And if God has blessed you with the ability to read, then open the grace of this book to somebody who can. 
If God has blessed you with a car, then drive that car and deliver grace to the prisoner and the orphan and the widow. If God has blessed you with more than enough, then take the grace of that abundance to those who are still in need. Take care of the poor. Look out for the strangers and for the aliens among you. If God has blessed you with a salvation that is greater than all of your sins, then open the grace of that abundant good news and carry it and tell it and pray it and support it along to those who have not heard it yet, for there are so many still. And whether it's in Kyrgyzstan or Cambodia or Nicaragua or Honduras or Phoenix or Denver or Casper or Sheridan, Wyoming, I'm telling you, there are so many who desperately still need to hear and feel and know that there is a God who has a heart for the outsider and wants nothing more than to fill them in his house with joy. And so this day, with all humility, but without any shame, we say, God, be gracious to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine on us. And we ask these things so that they may know your way, so that they will sing your song, so that they will experience your joy, so that they will belong to this kingdom too. And Father, we ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the embodiment of the blessing who became poor so we might become rich, who became sin so that we might become in him the righteousness of God, who took upon himself the curse that we might receive the blessing. We ask all of these things in his name and with the promise to pass it along.